Good morning, guys. It's good to see you. It is so good to start our week in worship. If you're joining us for the first time, we are especially glad that you are here. We think you're joining us at the perfect time because as we start a new year, we are starting a brand new series, our teaching series on Sunday called simply Experience Immeasurably More. And as we begin the new year as a church, we are asking God that God would allow us to experience God for ourselves. We're going to unpack what that means for today and for the rest of the year over the course of our time together. But we want to experience God because it's one thing if someone comes back and tells you about a great experience. It's something totally different if you get to experience something special for yourself, isn't it? Like it's one thing to have a friend who goes away to like, let's say the Grand Canyon and they come back and they're so excited to tell you about their experience, how they stayed at a hotel on the rim of the canyon. They walked and they saw this massive hole in the ground. And as they're talking, if you've never left Florida, you're thinking like, well, I saw a pretty significant sinkhole one time. Like we have no context, right? And then they tell you about their experience and you can read books about it. You can see pictures on social media. You consume hours and hours of content on YouTube, but there's nothing like experiencing it for yourself. Like stepping to the rim of the canyon and feeling the, the cool air come up from below. To see the, the layers of rocks that words and pictures can't fully quantify. To see the depth and the vastness of it. There's nothing like experiencing something special and significant for ourselves. And I've learned over the course of the last several years that it's not just true of places we travel or restaurants we try, but it's also true of our relationship with God. And over the last several years, though I grew up in church, I have been experiencing God at work in my life, and it has changed the way I stand in awe of God. And here's what I mean. I know everybody has their own unique story. This is my story. It's special to me because it's the only story I've got. But I grew up in a great family at a great church. So much so that when I was growing up, I loved church so much that I decided I would, at a young age, I would serve the church for the rest of my life as a job. And I loved church. And so I went like all in on learning who God was, everything that was available, Sunday school. Remember when churches had Sunday school, like Sunday before Sunday, like Sunday school? And then I got, that wasn't enough. And so I'd go like Wednesday night youth activities. And I got involved in this Bible quiz program for middle and high school years. And I spent significant amount of time studying the Bible. And I even went on to Bible college, and I got a degree because they said I studied the Bible to a certain extent, and I learned so much about God. And then I got to serve in ministry when I graduated from Bible college, and I got to sit on the front row and watch God work, and I'd say, like, no one cheered God on as much as I did. But it wasn't until several years into ministry that the God I knew so much about invited me to experience him for myself. Now, I'm sure that invitation was always on the table, but it wasn't until I started really spending time with God and serving God that I experienced God for myself. The God I grew up learning so much about started affecting the direction of my everyday life. And in doing so, one passage of scripture really stood out above the rest. It was one of those passages that like everywhere I looked, there it was. I remember reading in my Bible, Ephesians chapter 3, during a, my prayer time, and I hadn't thought too much about it, but I started in verse 20 and 21, and then after I read it and it jumped off the page from Scripture, it seemed like I'd see it everywhere. You know, like, 
You know, like when you first buy a car, you think you're the only person in the world with a car. And then everywhere you look, as soon as you own the car, there's the car. It's kind of like that with the scripture. I'd see it on like bumper stickers as I was driving on, coffee cups in, in the Bible bookstore. I'd see it on social media. People would share it. Everywhere I looked, I would see this verse from Ephesians chapter 3, verses 20 and 21. Paul writes, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly. And the translation I was reading at the time said immeasurably more. And those two words stood out to me. To him who is able to do far more abundantly or immeasurably more than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. And I don't know what it was about these two verses, but I could not get them out of my head. And every time I would go back and spend time with God and study the scripture, something new would stand out. And there is so much more packed into this passage that we could spend a significant amount of time studying. But all the time that I spend studying this passage, two things stand out above the rest. And I want to share them with you this morning. It's, it's first and foremost, the immeasurably more. Paul talked about this during communion today, but it's, it's God is always at work to make himself known to us, more of his presence and more of his power, so that no matter how long we've known God or how long we've walked with God or how much we've studied God, there is always more of God to experience. He is infinite and he is incomprehensible. God is eternal, and he is always at work to accomplish immeasurably more in us and through us. And so there's this ever-present invitation to walk with God and experience more of God. And the other thing that stands out is the power at work within us. And that line is, is so significant because I don't know about you, but when I think about the power of God, I think about like the grand power of God on display at creation. Genesis 1, like in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. You like look through a telescope or you walk into a dark night sky and you see all the stars and the planets and the solar systems. And I think about the vast power of God that's able to hold all of that together to keep this world spinning and us on this world. And then something that is always fascinating to me and caused me to think about the power of God is watching substantial storms like hurricanes and see the wind and the waves and the, the ability that they have to demonstrate a power that is beyond my comprehension. Like I can see the power of God on display in the wind and the waves. And then I kind of zoom in a little bit more. I see the power of God in the movement of his church across this world, that the church and the kingdom of God is advancing in the far corners, reaching unreached of the earth and reaching unreached people groups. And it blows me away that the gospel that started 2,000 years ago is still going forth. But even more, his power and his might is at work within us within the church and within individual followers of Jesus. That we can experience that power, the power of God for ourselves in our church and in our lives. And this is an incredible verse. Like, and this is one of those verses, if you're kind of new to faith, as Christians, we call this like the coffee cup verse. You know what I'm talking about? Like back in the day, when we had Bible bookstores where these were the kind of verses that would go on the coffee cups because they sell well 
Everyone likes to think about God's at work to accomplish immeasurably more. And then we make that immeasurably more whatever we want it to be in our life. And we sell these Bible verses and things that they're plastered on. But in order to really wrap our minds around this verse, we have to take it and see the entire context. That it's not just a passage that would be, was meant to be plucked out of Scripture, but it's part of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church. And so to do that, I just want to look very quickly at some of the most profound verses that are packed into this book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, they're going to pop on the screen. You don't have to flip through with me, but it starts this way. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God to the saints, the followers of Jesus, who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And so from that very first verse, we realize that this isn't just some coffee cup verse. This is a, a small piece of a big letter that the Apostle Paul, who experienced Jesus face-to-face after he was raised from the dead, wrote to encourage and equip the church to know and follow God. He wrote it to a group of believers in the first century city of Ephesus, people like us, a church that Paul planted several years before, and he wrote it back to them to encourage them and instruct them in their faith. And what follows is some of the most prolific passages we have in all of Scripture because Paul, at the time of this writing, was just laying out for them the gospel. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 7, it says, In him, in Jesus, we, the church, followers of Jesus, have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us, again, to the church, the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which is set forth in Christ. And you see these passages that are so prolific about the redemption that we have in Jesus, that his blood bought us back from the wrath of God that we earned by our sin. We see redemption. Verse 11 says, in him, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things together, counseling according to the counsel of his will. That God is holding heaven for us. We have already obtained access to what is to come through Jesus. Verse 13, in him, in Jesus, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is given to the church, that God's presence might dwell within God's people. Verse 20, Paul just lays out for them the person and the work of Jesus. He says, the work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his, under his Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. He says, our hope is not a blind hope, but we put our confidence in the finished work that Christ accomplished for us in the cross. Then one of the most famous passages in all of scripture, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, says, for by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the work, it is a gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That he has made peace for us. Verse 13, but now in Christ, Jesus Christ, you who were once were far off have been brought near by the blood of 
by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, so there's no more animosity between sinful people and a holy God. Paul's writing all of this, and in chapter 3, verse 7, he kind of sums up the reason of his writing. He says this, he says, of this gospel... The gospel of the good news of Jesus, that he was appointed an apostle to share with the saints in Ephesus, that there's redemption in the blood of Jesus, that heaven is being held for God's people, that his Holy Spirit has been bestowed upon us, that God has already raised Jesus and seated him at the right hand, giving him authority over all power and authority. By grace, you have been saved. You've been invited into this. You've given a purpose and a calling. Paul says, of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace which was given to me by the working of his power. So that's chapters one, two, and first part of three. And Paul, in the start of his letter, he lays out for the saints in Ephesus, and by extension, the saints, the church gathered on east side of Orlando some 2,000 years later, the good news about Jesus that's available to everyone who puts their faith in him. And I don't know this for sure, but I think that as Paul writes this letter, he just assumes that everyone will put their faith in Jesus when they read this letter. Because the good news is so good. And let's be honest, like only an idiot would not accept the good news of the gospel. I mean, there is literally hell to lose and heaven to gain. Right? There is God to gain and ourselves to lose, and we only have to look at ourselves to see what we're able to accomplish. And I'm not trying to like, be offensive. That's what the Bible says, that it would be foolish to leave this gift on the table. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says to the church in Thessalonica, he says, the good news is so good that those who haven't put their faith in Jesus, the only explanation is they're deceived by the devil. He says, the activity of Satan with all wicked deception for those who are perishing, why? Because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. They refused to love the truth and so be saved. They decided that it was foolishness because they've been fooled by the enemy. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18 says, For the word of the cross, the message of the gospel, is folly or foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, to us who are being saved, it's the power of God for salvation for all who believe. Good news is so good, you'd have to be an idiot to leave it on the table. A couple weeks ago, we celebrated Christmas, Right? Like, how silly would we have to be to leave those presents wrapped under the tree still today? It'd be ridiculous, wouldn't it? The truth is, like, I got impatient this year at Christmas, and so I went on Amazon, because we have a shared Amazon account, and I saw all the good gifts that my wife bought for me. And I could not have been more excited about them. And so she did her thing. She wrapped them beautifully, put a bow on them, addressed them to her beloved husband and placed them under the tree. And the thing is like, man, I knew what was in those packages and I was so excited. It's like the cost of sharing an Amazon account. And so like, how silly would it be if still today I knew what was there, so I just left it there? I'd be an idiot, right? If we know how good the good news is, we'd be foolish to leave those gifts on the table. And so when Paul shares the good news, he's writing this letter, he's sharing the power of the gospel. I think that he just expects that everyone will accept Jesus as their savior. What drives him to his knees in prayer is that they would 
in that we would experience God for ourselves. And the passage that Jeffrey read for us has been uh, one of the most influential passages in my life and the life of our church. It says this, Paul writes in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14, the middle of this letter to a church gathered in the first century city of Ephesus. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. It's not like Paul in the middle of his letter just gets so exhausted that he has to take a knee and catch his breath like a football player in between plays. What is Paul doing? He's taking a posture of prayer. He has been driven to his knees, recognizing this preeminence and power of the God, our Father, who can demonstrate his presence in our life. And he says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. God, Paul recognizes, God is not a God who is far off, but he is a God who knows us by name. And Paul's prayer that we'll spend a few minutes unpacking is is a recognition, this posture demonstrates that Paul's prayer is a recognition that God is in control and he is capable of leading us to experience his power and his presence in our life. So much so that he says, for this reason, in the middle of this writing, as I think about the gospel, I'm going to get down on my knees and I'm going to pray. When was the last time you took that posture of prayer? And I don't mean like physical posture, because I know as I say that, the first thing that comes to someone's mind is if I get down on that, if I get down on my knees, I'll never get back up. All right, you're aging yourself. That's maybe true, but Someone will help you back up. And some of you, someone else is thinking, well, I don't have to get down on my knees to pray. Well, maybe a little uh, humble posture would help. But what I'm really asking about is the heart posture. When was the last time you were driven to this humble pleading before God, expectant that you would experience more of God? Because the truth is, you don't get down on your knees and plead with God unless you, will believe, you believe he will answer your prayer and pull you closer to him. This is the posture I am praying that we take as we lean in to experience more of God in 2024. I'm praying and pleading with God that who is in control and he is capable that he would make himself known to us as a church, that we would hunger and thirst for righteousness, that we cannot and we will not be satisfied with anything other than the presence and the power of his Holy Spirit at work in our lives and through our church. I think so often we are quick to accept Jesus as our Savior and settle into this safe routine where we completely miss what God wants to accomplish in us and through us. And the scary thing is we can miss what God wants to accomplish without ever missing a Sunday. Do you think about that? Like we can miss the presence and the power of God without ever missing a Sunday. And I'm afraid that as I think back about last year, I saw some of this take place in my life. If I were to be completely honest with you, the moment of confession in this last year, I think I was willing to settle into the familiar routine of what God has always done. I was willing to look back on what God has already accomplished as if he were finished. I grew tired. Anyone else get tired in 2023? 
I got discouraged because I believed some of the lies of the enemy. I got distracted. And I love to blame it all on the devil. But the truth is, I think I had a posture problem. I never missed a Sunday. Even when we were on vacation, we went to church on Sunday because we start our week in worship. I never stopped spending time with God. Very rarely would I miss more than a day or two here and there. But I think I had a posture problem where I stopped showing up expecting God to accomplish immeasurably more in my life. And I'm committed to closing that gap in this year and praying that God would allow us as a church to experience more of him in 2024. And so with the time we have left, I want to answer the question, what's it like to experience God? Truth is, we can't really describe it. It'd be like me trying to go away on vacation and explain this incredible experience to you. It's something that you have to experience for yourself. But Paul does give us some insight in the immeasurably more that God can accomplish in us and through us if we will spend our time walking with him. He says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, verse 16, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you, the church, to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Okay, the way this is divided up in the letter is kind of confusing. And so we're going to have to like stop mid-verse, but we're going to stop right here. Paul prays the first thing is that the church would experience the power of God to strengthen them to what? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. What does that mean? He's talking about the indwelling power of God in our lives. How does Christ dwell in our hearts through faith? It's a pretty straightforward question. We surrender our life to Jesus. As soon as we surrender our life to Jesus, Christ dwells in our heart. So I think Paul, first and foremost, is praying that the Holy Spirit would give you and give me strength to surrender. If Christ is going to dwell in our heart, he dwells in our heart when we put our faith in him through surrendering our life to him. And I think when the Apostle Paul is praying for this, he's praying that the Holy Spirit would give us strength to surrender, which sounds a little bit at first like an oxymoron, doesn't it? Because surrender is literally just letting go. And it seems like, what do we need strength to let go for? But I don't know about you, if you're anything like me, it takes a ton of strength to let go of control. Because I don't know, is there anything more scary than letting anyone or anything have control over you. It may be the most terrifying thing in the moment to let go of control. But here's what I found through my time with God is that God can accomplish immeasurably more through a moment of surrender than you and I can accomplish through a lifetime of holding on to our illusion of control. And that's what it is at the end of the day, isn't it? An illusion of control. Because no matter how hard we try to cling to control, we can't control our jobs. We can't control our relationships. We can't control the weather. We can't control anything. But in a moment, God can accomplish immeasurably more through a moment of surrender to him. And we know that because when we put our faith in Jesus, when we say, God, our way is not working, we're going to do this your way. I'm going to put my faith in you. I'm going to make you Lord of my life. I'm going to surrender to baptism and be united with Christ. I'm going to let your Holy Spirit come and dwell inside of me. In a moment, God performs a miracle that we could not accomplish with a lifetime of effort. 
So what would it look like if we took that trust that it takes to put our faith in Jesus and we, let, we surrendered control of our marriage in 2024? And like, I know, like you want to be married and you want to be married well, but it just feels like sometimes you can't put the pieces together. What would it look like if you and your husband or you and your wife just gave control to God and you started treating each other the way God said to treat each other, inviting his Holy Spirit to work in your life and stop praying that the Holy Spirit would work in their life so much. God would perform miracles. He would accomplish immeasurably more. And if you're not married or even if you are married, it's not just for marriage, but what about relationships? One of our core values is that we would cultivate restorative community because we know relationships take work. Family takes work. Friends take work. Coworkers take work. Neighbors take work. But God gives us relationships for us. What would it look like if we surrendered control? And God says things like, I don't know, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. Okay, as much as it depends on me, through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to let God have control. No, no unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. No corrupting talk except for what is useful for building others up. Okay, stop telling the neighbor what I really think about him. I'm just going to keep that to myself, and I'm going to follow God faithfully. God would accomplish immeasurably more. What about your career? I remember when we were, I started a career in ministry, and I could not have been more scared to let God have control. I was terrified he would take me north of Florida because I love Florida, and I'm sure the Grand Canyon is beautiful, but they don't have beaches, right? And like... They don't have golf year round. They don't have fishing. And, and like, but when I let God have control, not only was he gracious enough to keep me in Florida, like the church that he's allowed us to be a part of these last few years is immeasurably more than even the church we served before. What if you let God have control of your calling and recognize that you were created more for than going, than more, created for more than going through the same old routine day in and day out. But you were created to reflect the glory of God to the people that God has gathered around you so that they would follow Jesus after you. Paul is praying the church in Ephesus and the church today would have strength to surrender control to God. That Christ dwelling in us would determine who we are and where we go. He goes on, he says, that you, we're picking up in the middle of 17, that you being rooted and grounded in love, we'll come back to that in just a minute, that being rooted and grounded in love may have strength, again, God's power within us to comprehend with all the church, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He's praying that the Holy Spirit within us would give us strength to know that which we cannot possibly know, how much God loves you. Now, if I were to say, do you know that God loves you? I would guess, without putting you on the spot, we'd get like 100% participation. People like, yes, I know that God loves me. John 3, 16, right? For God so loved the world. God loves the world. I live in the world. God must love me. No, no, no. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, I want you to know experientially. I want you to know, know that God loves you. That God loves you so much that he would send his only son to die on a cross so that you would not perish, but have eternal life with him. God loved you so much he sent Jesus so you could spend eternity with him that he's invited you to have a personal and powerful relationship with him. Several scriptures come to mind when I think about this. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19 says, You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. 
Romans 5a, but God shows his love for us in this. God demonstrates his love that while we were sinners struggling far from God, Christ died for us. 1 Peter chapter 1 says, knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. 1 John chapter 4, verse 10, in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins, the payment that satisfies the wrath of God that we have brought on ourselves. This is love, that God sent his son. You were worth Jesus to God. And when Paul writes this prayer for the church, he's saying, I just pray that they would get their mind around that which they cannot get their mind around, that God loves them. And he's not just giving it lip service. He wants us to know the love of God. I do this with my, my daughters, both daughters, but one is four years old. And I ask her all the time, I probably annoy her dad. like, Brian, do you know that daddy loves you? She always says, yes, daddy, you know. I was like, no, do you know that daddy loves you? She's like, I'm probably four years old. Yes, daddy, I love you. Um, but like I, I hug her and I tell her how wonderful she is. And I cuddle with her when we put her down for bed. And I read the Bible stories with her. I tell her how much God loves her. And then I'll say, but Brian, there's only one person who can you, love you more than me. Who, mama? No, no, God. Like, God loves you. Mama's equal with me. God loves you more than me. She said, well, how can that be? I said, I don't know. I don't know, but it's true. God loves you so much. Do you know that God loves you? Paul says that you being rooted and grounded in love. It's two foundational terms. So whether you're a farmer or a contractor, that you're rooted or grounded in love, that God's love for us is foundational to experiencing God in our life. That when we understand God's love for us, it becomes the foundation for our life. And I don't, have, I don't talk about this a lot. I've been trying to think through what we talk about at Eastside. I realize I take this for granted, but when we know it, when we really know that God loves us, it changes the way we see the world. It changes us from thinking that things are happening to us, but they're happening for us. So much so that Paul or whoever wrote Hebrews would say in Hebrews chapter 12, verse six, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. And we think about that. If that means that the things that happen are happening for us, not just to us, that God is using all things together for the good of those who love him, that our most difficult days are drawing us closer to the God who loves us more than we can wrap our mind around. Do you know that God loves you? And finally, in verse 19, the second half of 19, Paul says, says this to the church. He says that you, the church, may be filled with all the fullness of God. And it's just his summary statement of saying, I pray that the church would know that God dwells with his people, that his Holy Spirit has been given to you in all things God wants to make available for his people. When you put your faith in Jesus, God puts his spirit in you. John, the apostle John writes in 1 John chapter 4, he says this, he says, by this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And, and John would say to the church, he would say, you can know that you dwell with God and God dwells in you because he has given you his spirit. This isn't something that's going to take place someday, but when you put your faith in Jesus, he gives his Holy Spirit to dwell with us. He goes on, he says, and we've seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. And it shows us that when we, when we make Jesus Lord of our life and put our faith in him and we give our life to Christ and we're united with him in Christian baptism, his Holy Spirit dwells in us and God dwells with us. But Paul still prays for the church. Man, I just want you to be filled with all the fullness. I just want you to know and feel and experience God's presence. And then he says this. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God and God in him. Leave that on the screen for us, if you would, for just a second. I think this stands out to me. He says, so we have come to know and to believe. So often when I think about the things of God or I think about anything, if I know something is true, I just believe it, right? Like, yeah, I know that, I know that. But what Paul, or sorry, what John is doing here is he's saying, I want you to believe it. I want you to believe on it. I want you to put your faith in Jesus and I want you to know it like you experienced it firsthand for yourself. That you would know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love. Whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. Paul finishes, or sorry, yeah, Paul finishes in verse 20 of Ephesians chapter 3. He says, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. This verse shows us that this is just the starting point. His power is something we can experience in our lives and through our church. And then he gives us marching orders. He says, to him, to God, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. That what, the, what God accomplishes for the good of his people in the context of his church would be for the glory of God. This verse is just the starting point. We started Eastside several years ago after we had the privilege of experiencing God for ourselves. Started first with my wife and I, we grew up in church knowing a lot about who God was, but when we got to experience God for ourselves, we couldn't help but tell more people about it. And so we gathered friends and family around and we told them, man, we know God and we love God, but God is at work in our lives. He's performing miracles. And we want to be a part of sharing. And so we gathered more friends and we started a church for almost four years ago in a couple of weeks. And we just kept telling more and more people and people would come and they would experience God for themselves. And we never pretend to have all the bells and whistles. We never even pretend to have it all figured out. But what we started with is what we stand with. It's the truth that God is at work to accomplish immeasurably more in and through his church. And so we're going to start this year with a series on our core values. There's six simple steps straight from scripture that have been tried and true in my life and in many of your lives, that if we will lean in and spend time with God, if we will walk in obedience by taking action, if we will live with an expectant faith, expecting God to perform miracles in our midst for his glory, if we will live open-handed, generous lives, if we will cultivate restorative community, and if we will live to reflect glory to God as we make disciples wherever he takes us, we will experience more of God in 2024. So we wrap this up. I'm so grateful that we get to gather together week in and week out. 
We're gonna make much of God and ask God to make himself known to us, not just in head knowledge, but in experience. That as we learn more about God, he leads us to walk closely with him. My invitation to you is to walk with us to experience immeasurably more in 2024. Let's pray. Father, we are so thankful for the goodness and grace of a God who loves us more than we can wrap our mind around. A God who would send his son from the riches of heaven to earth to live a perfect life so that he could give that life on a cross, so that he could be buried in a tomb, so they could be raised from the dead so that we can have life with you today. Father, we know even as we reflect on your word that we cannot wrap our mind fully around it. We'll never stop pursuing you and the truth in your word. But Father, we pray that as we make much of you, you would make yourself known to us. We pray that you would start today as we stand and sing these final two songs. We pray that your Holy Spirit would demonstrate your power and your strength in our life every day in the year to come. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.